Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 35 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking again with Gretchen Baskerville, author of an upcoming book called Life-Saving Divorce. Gretchen was actually with us two episodes ago, episode 33, where she talked about busting the myths of singleness. And today, we're going to be, ta- we're going to be doing some more myth-busting, okay? We're going to be talking about shame-busting your divorce. There's three particular uh, tracks we're going to go down. One is the idea of moving from shame and fear to ministry. A lot of times people who are divorced think that they are disqualified from serving God. Is that really true? She's also going to share with us the latest research on outcomes for children of divorce. And finally, we're going to talk about the spiritual crisis that comes when when you find yourself in a divorced situation. Where is God in divorce? And what is the outcome as far as finding a new partner? Are you disqualified from being uh, happily married someday? So let's begin. Gretchen, welcome back to the Flying Free Podcast. It's great to be with you again, Natalie. Let's first talk about how divorce affects the way we see ourselves. You know, some people think that Well, they even hear from their churches that if you're divorced, you aren't able to serve in certain ministries, or they they might even think, you know, even if they go to a church where that's more open to that, they might still feel like they're disqualified from serving God. So how do you, how do you move from shame and fear to a place where you feel like you can have a ministry and you can be stable? Yeah, that's such a big problem because we've been trained all of our lives that that marriage, being a wife and a mother, was the most important thing in our lives. And so to lose that in divorce uh, suddenly puts us in this this netherland. You know, where who are we and where do we fit in the church? And churches, you know, focus on the family, right? So uh, what happens when we're no longer a husband, wife, child family anymore? So you find... It, you automatically start feeling that you're a second-class citizen and mm-hmm. you feel like you're disqualified. Maybe you're, you're now disqualified for even serving God. And how would God use you anyway? I mean, who's going to listen to you? You're the, you're the loser. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> in some cases, your churches want you to have this cheerful look on your face because you are representing God and you have to fake it. Um, and what I've discovered is that when you don't fake it, when you're real, you actually have better ministry than when you fake it because people mm-hmm. can tell when you're faking it. Yes. So <laughs> I started running this single mothers group at my church. This is way back in 1998. And I realized that I had a very special ministry as a divorce survivor, I had uh, street cred. Other um, right. <laughs> other divorcees would listen to me in ways they would never listen to a pastor's wife or a woman's director. I mean, they you know kind of tune them out. Mm-hmm. You know, what would they know about my life? Mm-hmm. They've got you know great husbands. Forget it. They don't. You know, they've got nothing to say to me. But for someone who's walked through it, for someone walking through their shoes, 
I had a, a phenomenal ministry. And I think that your ministry starts immediately, informally, as soon as you've worked through you know, the beginning of your, your hurt and your anger. You'll find yourself talking to people in, in the grocery line. You'll find yourself talking to strangers. Um, and lo and behold, you find that you are giving them encouragement as they walk through their own difficult divorce, especially if the person is being abused or uh, is worried about taking that step. Um, now, you might have problems starting a ministry like this if you have a church that's not open to it. You may end up having to switch churches. Um, but you can also uh, start a support group in your own home. And I had several women from churches come to my single mother's group, uh, when, both when we met in churches and when we met in my house. I, I attracted women from all different churches. So it's a wonderful opportunity to have a ministry that really no one else can do. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I went through... Uh, the next, you know, 20 years of being single, I found that being a second class Christian actually was, I had a better testimony in a sense, because I can say, you know, no matter what happened to me, I know that God was with me. I knew that Jesus never left me or forsake, uh, forsake me. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I was actually a better evangelist as a divorced person than I was as a married person. And that was very, very special to me. I have found that to be true over and over. People can, don't really, despite what we were told, people really don't identify you, with you if you're this squeaky clean, perfect person. They want to see where is God when life is bleak and when there's a black cloud over your head and when you think ever happen good in your life again. Mm -hmm. So um, I found over time that I, I developed a kind of a reputation as being, okay, you, you know, you can tell Gretchen anything. She'll, you know, you can tell her whatever's going on in, in, your, in your life, and she will be there to pray for you, to give you, you know, God's promises, um, to walk alongside with you. And she's not afraid of anything. And that I went from kind of being a second class citizen back to being up to being a ministry leader, even in my very, very conservative church. And they started treating me with tremendous respect. I ended up being made a deaconess again mm -hmm. and was put on um, a major committee at the church. So God has a way of taking us from having our nose dragged in the dirt to lifting us back to esteem. And um, you know, I, I can't explain how it works that way, but it just does. That reminds me of the, the play, The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Have you ever read that? Yeah, yeah, but it's been years. Remind me of the best parts. Well, it, it, it has been years for me too, but I just remember she had the A on her and she was labeled as this adulteress. But over the years, as she served people and did just what you were describing, she ended up, they forgot why the A was there. And, they, and it, I think at the very end of the book, it said everyone thought that it meant able. Because oh, wow. she was so able. So I thought yeah. that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that I also was known as the person who's not going to condemn you. 
Right. Um, because I've learned through doing years and years and years of divorce recovery ministry, the people don't always tell me the worst things the first year or the second year. Sometimes I don't find out about the illegal, the, uh, the felonies and things like that until their third year. If they're being beaten mm-hmm. or if they're, they're, uh, they're married to somebody who's molesting the children, I'm not going to find that out until a long time later. So I, I learned very quickly, don't judge people. Don't jump to judgment because they're going to, especially a good Christian woman, any woman of faith really, is going to fall on her sword to protect her children's reputation and her reputation. So I was kind of the person they could trust to be non-judgmental. It's not that I, you know, obviously I, uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of frivolous divorces or, you know, the I'm bored divorce or the grass is greener divorce, but where there's a really miserable marriage, where you are in a destructive relationship, um, I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm with you and I'm, I'm going to greet you with a hug, not with an interrogation. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I was going to, this is, might be a good place for me to mention that my book Um, I have a book called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. And I'm right in the middle right now of working on a workbook that's designed for you to work through, for readers to work through individually to process all of the information that's in my book. And then also it has, it's going to have, um, it's going to have coloring pictures in it too, just to, you know, to like relaxation coloring pictures, but that's not the meat and potatoes of it. That's just the relaxation part, but it's also going to have group discussion questions. So, and the, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, not just to help people process, but I would love to see people taking that book and starting. It would be so easy to, to, to do a small group, just even with just two or three or four other people, wherever you are in your community. Like you were saying, you run into people in the grocery store. This does not have to be an organized church event. This can be something that you do on the ground level, just an organic thing that where you are able to sit down with some other women who are going through or, ha- or have been through the same pain that you've gone through and help to, you know, to love them, to accept them, to encourage them, build them up. That's what people, that's what we're, that's what I was looking for when I was going through my mess. I was being rejected by everybody and I was looking, desperately needing connection with, with fellow, you know, like-minded Christians who would support me no matter what. And um, it's hard to find people like that when you're going through something like that. So it really is. And if they don't have the maturity and they haven't walked that walk a long time, they may not know what to say and do. Right. So, so, so even that, it, that kind of thing, it doesn't have to be my book and my Bible study. It can be another book and another Bible study. Or I was going to actually ask you, what did you, what have you used all of these years to take your group? your um, women through, do you go through different kinds of books or is there a cu- other kind of curriculum that you use? Wow. I've used a lot of different curriculum over the years and a lot of it depends on where the women are coming from. Um, I've used uh, the, I don't know if I'm allowed to use uh, name brands, but I, I've used the major curriculum that churches use, but I find that it's 
best to use only in the cases of infidelity and sexual immorality because they don't accept uh, abuse, uh, either physical or mental abuse, as a valid reason for divorce. So I don't mm-hmm. recommend using the big major curriculum out there. Is that, I think we can say the name of it because otherwise people are going to wonder and it's okay. Is it, is it divorce care? Is that what you're yeah, referring to? Care. Okay. And the other thing about divorce care is they really insist that you put men and women together in the same Yes. Group. And I think that's just, uh, I understand why they want to do it that way, but it's destructive. It's, it's so bad because we all know that you throw one good looking man in a group and suddenly the women change, um, you know, how they act, how they yep. hold their bodies, what they're willing to say, what they're willing to admit, yep. um, to discuss how depressed they feel or helpless or hopeless they feel. Suddenly everything is put through the lens of, Ooh, there's a, an eligible man sitting across the table from me. And it just kills any kind of authenticity and any kind of integrity there is in the group. Well, so, I was just going to say, really the, the other thing too is I, we didn't have that in the church that I was excommunicated from, but the church that I started going to had that. And I had considered going, but I found out that two of the men of people that I knew who these men were abusers were going to that group. Oh. So there was no way I was going to go to that group. And yeah. I thought, I didn't even want to go to a group where there were any men because I'm trying to, I, I didn't like men at that time. I didn't trust them. I was scared of them. And so why would I go? There was just, I, I didn't even consider it. It was just a no, it was something I just knew I wasn't going to be able to do, which is kind of sad. Well, let me be fair to the creator of um, Divorce Care. His name is Steve Grissom. He, um, he really wants men to be involved so that women know that men can be victims of uh, unfaithful wives. Men can be the victims of abusive wives. They're not always the perpetrator. And I agree with him. I just don't think you can have men and women mixed in, in a sharing environment that's that vulnerable. Well, and I think too that... Of course, that's true that men can be victims, and they are. I, I know some men victims <clears throat> genuinely are victims. Um, the only thing is you can have that knowledge without actually mixing them. Right. Do you know what I mean? You can, that can be clearly communicated without actually. You can even start the group <clears throat> in a large group setting and then break them up, down into men. And maybe they do that. Do they break, do they break them into small yeah, groups? Where they, they, They only recommend that for the um, week that they talk about sexuality. And I think that's a mistake. I think they need to to separate men and women uh, for every single week. Of course, they don't allow uh, their their video portion of their curriculum is a, a full hour. And so most churches, that doesn't allow most churches to give you time. I mean, if you've got childcare, if they're providing childcare, you don't have time for introductions. You don't have time for uh, a little uh, catch updates and sharing at the beginning. You don't have time for prayer requests at the end. So I'm, I'm just not a big fan. Um, there have been times that I used that curriculum uh, and I, I broke it down into 30-minute videos. Um, I just cut the videos in half and I only used it with women. But, you know, that's, 
um, that's not ideal. What I found that I really love, um, especially for conservative women of faith, are um, the booklets by June Hunt. Uh, June Hunt uh, is uh, the radio host of Hope for the Heart, and she has a wonderful booklet called Verbal and Emotional Abuse, which with a little creativity, you can break it down into maybe a six or eight week um, you know, Bible study for women and divorce and use it for divorce recovery. She's wonderful because she has whole lists of, of different kinds of abusive behaviors. And women would go through these lists and they'd say, yes, that's me. Yes, that happened to me. Oh my goodness. That was abusive. They never realized it until they saw June Hunt's wonderful list in her little booklet, Verbal and Emotional Abuse. So I used her Hope for the Heart series um, a lot for divorce recovery. And that allowed me to change up the topics depending on what women were facing. Also, she has, I believe, 48 topics in the series. So unlike using a canned curriculum that ends, you know, at week eight or week 12, we ended up meeting year round. And there were always topics that we could use for, from, uh, <laughs> from the Hope for the Heart June Hunt series. And you can get those off of Amazon or christianbook.com. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can actually read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first three chapters of my book free if you want to hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those three chapters are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. Now, let's get back to our episode. Well, let's let's shift gears because I know one of the biggest concerns that women have when they're contemplating divorce um, or even after divorce, one of the biggest problems they have is dealing with their parenting and and, have, and children. And a huge fear of mine and a huge fear of many women is that their children are going to be destroyed. The, you know, that their children are going to go to hell in a handbasket, as I heard once. And, <laughs> um, and I, I was afraid of that too. I was afraid of how it would affect... The, and I had children at the time of my divorce ranging from ages... Um, well, by the time I got divorced, my youngest was... Uh, five, but he was one when we were separated. So ranging from ages one to 20. Mm. And then when we were divorced, ranging from ages five to 24 and everything in between nine kids, everything in between. So that was a lot of, that was a lot of different reactions from a lot of different kids. And there was some fallout, but tell me about what your experience is with this and some of the research that you've been doing on this. Right, right. Because, of course, any loving, caring mother is terrified, right? I was terrified that my kids would have lifelong damage from the divorce. That's what I'd always heard. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that now it is no longer true. 
Uh, kids just are not damaged on average as much as they used to be, say, 30 years ago. I do know that there is, uh, you know, research uh, that says that they are. Uh, but the new research is saying that kids are fine. If your kids were fine before the divorce, they will, you know, after a year or two, go back to normal, provided that you can shield them from arguing and fighting with, with their dad. So just if you have to have an intense discussion with him, don't do it in front of the kids. Don't snip at each other in front of the kids. You know, a lot of people now have non-disparagement clauses in their, their legal documents. Just keep the kids out of it. Keep them from having to witness any fighting between you and your ex. Um, and if you just act calm and polite and put on your happy face and your cooperative attitude uh, when you're with your ex around your kids, that's going to really, really help. Um, I divorced when my kids were preschool age. So I was watching like a hawk to see if the divorce would hurt them in any way. And, uh, between the two kids, I had one with ADHD and one with social anxiety, but I, I saw the seeds of those, you know, before the divorce. Uh, so the divorce didn't cause them. Mm -hmm. Eventually both kids really got good at dealing with their own issues and they really matured. Um, one of the things that researchers say is that um, to be a good parent, you really need to have a warm, close relationship with your kids. You need to have fun, do leisure activities outside the home. That might be going for a walk. It might be collecting flowers. It might be going on a nature hike. It might be just going to the pet store and visiting the pets. Uh, but just do some fun things outside the house. Do projects inside the house that might be homework. Um, and then having fair and warm uh, responses when there are uh, crises. You know, if there's a misbehavior, don't fall apart and, you know, you know, lose it. Be warm, encouraging, but firm with your discipline. Firm and fair with your discipline. Mm -hmm. And those are the kids that come out... Um, you know, with flying colors after, after a divorce. I, I, my, my daughter is, is over in the living room while I'm sitting here, um, talking with you. Um, and I asked her, um, she's now an adult and I said, how do you feel about being a kid from divorce? And, and she said, you know, this is what I tell my friends all the time. I really feel fortunate. I would rather be brought up in a loving home with one healthy parent than in an unhappy, stressed out home with two parents. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, a couple of other things that, that research is now showing us is that kids are not more likely to do drugs and alcohol as teenagers if they're raised by a single mother than being raised in a, in a two-parent home. Um, uh, another thing is, uh, 30 years ago, it was clear that if your parents were divorced, you were likely to get divorced too. Um, and that, that has really dropped. So now, uh, the, the latest study on that, the latest, uh, date is 2016. And now kids, uh, from divorced homes, are just only a little, just a few percentage points more likely to get divorced than the average kid. So 
uh, if the average kid in a two-parent home, uh, four out of 10 of them are likely to get divorced. If they come from a single mom home, five out of 10 are likely to get divorced themselves. That's only one kid out of 10. Yeah. So that's not that big. It's far better to get kids out of high conflict homes. Um, the, um, even if your home at, as a single mother is poor, you, you aren't able to offer as many nice things. It's still, um, it's still better for the kids to be out of the high conflict home. Yes. And almost everybody that I've talked to that has younger kids, we're talking preschool, middle grade school kids, um, they, their kids have thrived when, when they are not spending as much time with dysfunction. And that's what they, they are protected from a lot of dysfunction when you guys, when you get divorced, because right. now you're no longer in a dysfunctional relationship. The other thing too, that I just, this just struck me while you were talking, we talk about divorce, like it's, you know, well, if the kids, if there's a higher chance that the kids are going to get divorced, that seems like a bad thing. But here's the thing. What's bad is not divorce. What's bad is the dysfunction that causes the divorce in the first place. I've told, I tell, I've told all of my kids now, if you, if you find yourself, if you find yourself married to someone that you met and you married them, not realizing what you were getting into, and after you're married, you realize there, there's something deeply disturbing about this relationship and it is harm, it's harmful to me. You need to get a divorce. Not, you need to not only get a divorce, you need to get a divorce as soon as possible and preferably before you have children. So, you know, it's okay to say, I made a mistake. I married someone who's hurting me. Even if it's, and this is another, I'm going off on a rabbit trail, but um, another thing, as you were talking about the divorce care, you mentioned that they they only um, encourage divorce in cases of in cases of what? What were the two things that you said? Infidelity and abandonment. Okay, infidelity and abandonment, but not physical abuse or mental abuse. Right. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, if you look at their curriculum, that's what it says. Yeah. So all of my, well, I shouldn't say all, but the vast majority of the listeners to this podcast or the visitors to my website are women of faith in emotionally abusive relationships. Some also experience physical abuse and sexual abuse in their relationships, but most of them are experiencing a tremendous amount of emotional abuse. And that, and the, those people in particular are stuck. I mean, I do know there are some churches like my former church that excommunicated me would have been fine with me getting a divorce if I was presenting with, um, bruises and, you know, black eyes, but because I wasn't that it was, they basically told me that I wasn't being abused. Mm. What, what I was experiencing was not abuse. And it was, um, a sin then for me to get divorced. So, so anyway, I just, I don't recommend anything to my listeners that would cause them to feel that they have to stay stuck in a, in, in an abusive relationship just because, a religious group says, no, that's not abuse. You're not being abused. That's just more gaslighting, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, and that's why my, my book is called the life-saving divorce. And it refers to the 40% of divorces that are for, 
uh, mental uh, abuse, uh, physical abuse, serial infidelity, sexual immorality, mm-hmm. drug and alcohol, substance abuse, uh, extreme neglect, neglect of duty. I mean, there are people who just, you know, decide I've married you now. I'm going to put up my heels and I'm, I, you're going to have to earn the living. You're going to have to do everything and you're going to have to take care of me. And that's, that's abusive too. And I think that, um, but when I say 40% of divorces are life-saving divorces, that kind of implies that 50 or 60% are not. And um, the researchers say that if, if a, if a marriage is making you, they ask, is the marriage making, are you bored in your marriage or miserable in your marriage? Um, the 50 or 60% of non-life-saving divorces are people who are just bored in their marriage. They didn't expect to have to wash those diapers and stay home at night. And um, it's the 40% where people are miserable every day. Their souls are being destroyed by being in this marriage. Those are the life-saving divorces. And mm. I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. Um, we can't, we can't if just switch churches. If you go to a church that that doesn't accept uh, chronic mental abuse as a as a reason for divorce, it's time to switch because there are plenty of churches that do. Yeah, right. Okay. Speaking of that, let's. That's a great segue into the, our our next and last thing that we're <laughs> going to talk about on this episode, and that is the whole God thing. Yeah. So because we're talking to women of faith, they don't, even those that have already gotten divorced still kind of feel like there's this little nagging fear in the back of their minds that did I, am I on God's plan B now? And what have I, you know, um, does God still love me? Does he think that I'm a loser? Um, and also they're wanting to be remarried, but they kind of wonder, well, God's probably going to punish me now, or I, I don't deserve to have any happiness in my life. And so I'm probably going to be single the rest of my life. What, right, can you speak right. into that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Can I tell a little bit of my own story? Yes, please. Okay. So this was really tough for me because I'm a very loving, affectionate person from a very physically demonstrative family. And I always loved sex and I always wanted to remarry. Mm. So, um, in the earlier podcast, I talked about how I had decided to put off dating until my youngest child went off to college. That was 15 years. So at year 15, I was ready to go. You know, I thought God would provide someone for me instantly. <laughs> and I, you know, we, it's so easy for us to jump right back into that formula thinking, if I do A, B, and C, right. God is going to give me what I want. And that God's not like that. You know, it's a relationship. It's an adventure together with God. It's not like God is the great Coke machine in the sky. So (laughs) I jumped right back into formula thinking. I literally expected that within six months of my youngest leaving home for college, that God would drop a wonderful new husband in my lap. And of course, we all know what happens next. God does not do that. And, um, you know, for example, I discovered an old church friend going through divorce and I would get my hopes up and then they would be dashed. And I would find myself 
getting angry at God. Wait a second, God. You know, all through this time, I didn't have sex with anyone. I was a great role model to my kids. I prayed every day. I led single moms group. I have been nothing but a fantastic Christian woman of honor. Where is my husband? And so, you know, this leads to a kind of spiritual crisis. Um, because, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be married. It's, it's a good desire. It's holy. It's pure. Um, but then we start asking, well, God, why are you withholding this? You know, don't you love me? I mean, I've served you so faithfully. Uh, why do you withhold this one desire? And I don't, I don't know what, you know, you believe about this, but I think that being angry with God is actually showing God respect. Because if you didn't believe God in that there was a God, it wouldn't matter if you were angry at God or not. If you, the only kind of person um, who can be angry at God, really angry at God, is a person who really believes that God exists and that he's powerful and that he's good. Yes. So being angry with God shows respect to God. I've heard pastors say that getting angry with God is a sin and that we shouldn't question God. But I'll tell you some of the best times, uh, growth times of my life have been a result of being really furious with God. Yeah. Um, well, it shows that you trust him too. Because yeah. It shows that you believe that you are safe with him. Yes. Absolutely. And King David did it in the Psalms. There's lots of Psalms and Job did it. Um, I mean, to me, it shows that I believe in God and that God and I have a relationship that's so strong and so personal. We can have tremendous times of anger. And I remember, I mean, being so angry, standing out in a field and shaking my fist at the sky. Um, and sometimes these spiritual crises go on for a long time. Um, but it's important that it allows us to throw away our Coke machine view of God, our old immature views of God, our formulaic views of God, that if I do A, B, and C, then I'm going to get D from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and we end up having a real relationship with the real God of the universe who really does love us who really does care. And I I can't tell anyone else how long it will take or what you will personally learn, but I will say that it changes you and it changes you in powerful ways. I will admit that um, I was angry with God for a full year. And yet today I would say that I came out with a far deeper and more intimate faith. And let me just throw out one more thing. When you're going through a spiritual crisis, remember how I said before, you, you, uh, it's when you're a second class Christian that you can really evangelize. Yes. Same thing happens when you're in a spiritual crisis. I would, I would be, you know, walking, walking along the bluffs at the beach and, you know, um, run into someone and we would be looking at the, at the waves or something. And, and we'd get to talking and I would say, yeah, I'm in the middle of a real funk. I'm, I'm experiencing a spiritual crisis. I've been a devout Christian all of my life. And I just feel like God has completely abandoned me. And then they'll turn to me and say, wow, you know, I felt that way too. And the next thing you know, 
we're both encouraging each other to hold on to God. I've even had people who tell me that they're atheists tell me um, that, that they actually sort of do believe in God, but they would not have done that had I not admitted first what a deep spiritual crisis I was in and how, how much I felt like God had abandoned me. So it's, it, it was a, it's been an amazing thing. And again, I would just say that I came out with a far deeper and more intimate faith. And, and so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to show your anger to God. He's big and he can handle it. Well, and don't you feel too, like you have a sense of a deep understanding of a person who's had a crisis of faith and they're still, they did abandon, you know, they do call themselves an agnostic or an atheist, but you can kind of tell that they are still, there's so much anxiety in them. And you just, don't you feel just a sense of camaraderie with them or a sense of like, I know exactly where you're coming from and I understand and it's okay. What you're going through is okay. God is, God is so much bigger than, than our doubts. You know, I think he can handle our doubts and I think he, and this is a journey. So people who are doubting and they are saying angrily, well, I'm an atheist because I can't believe that a a good God would be this way. And that's okay. They're in a, their story is not over yet. So when Christians look at that, I've, I've seen bad stuff on, you know, Facebook and Twitter. Christians will say such horrible things. And it's, and I just think, you know, those people are just on, their story has not been written yet. And here we are criticizing. Who are we to criticize? What, and, and what kind of faith do we have in God? And we right. think that God can't handle that kind of doubt and that kind of fear in the face of the reality of the brokenness of this world and the pain that, that people go through. Amen. And anytime we can say, wow, I can't believe what happened to you. I'll tell you, if that had happened to me, I would doubt God too. And yes. I, would, I would doubt organized religion too, or mm-hmm. I would doubt my faith too. And that just, um, I've seen people, when you show just a little empathy, when you show, hey, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I know what it's like to have a church betray me or, or feel like God um, let down his end of the bargain. I totally get that. And I've seen people, uh, I have a good friend who walked away from God uh, right after she uh, got out of high school. And today, 40 years later, she has just now finally come back to the Lord because uh, people say, yeah, what you experienced in high school was horrible. The, you know, the double standards, the unfairness, the mean things that Christian leaders said to you. Um, I totally understand why you walked away. And now she feels like I'm affirmed. Somebody's hearing me. They empathize. They know that's not the way uh, people of faith ought to uh, ought to to behave. And now she's come back to the Lord. So um, Mm. I think that just a little empathy, you know, hugs, not interrogation uh, is the way to go. 
Exactly. Well, Gretchen, this has been so, so encouraging. I really appreciate your being willing to come back a second time and finish in and fill in some of the gaps. Well, really just flesh out even more of what you had started with. For those of you who didn't get a chance to um, listen to her first one, she was here just two episodes ago. So episode 33. And so I encourage you to go over and listen to her. She tells a little bit more of her story as a single and, um, yeah. And we'll probably have you, well, for sure, we're going to have you back when your book comes out. Her book is coming out next year sometime. It's called Life-Saving Divorce. And um, I think that book will end up being a book that people go through in small groups with other divorcees. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have a whole chapter that's kind of a curriculum. So, but um, I think, you know, it, it, it your material on uh, verbal, emotional, mental abuse is fabulous, and um, it is uh, it is really worth reading. Well, thank you. Is this content resonating with you? If it is, I hope that you'll share it with someone else you know who would benefit from it as well. I also would love it if you'd head over to iTunes Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. Your feedback helps other people just like you find this content. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, fly free.